0: hello and welcome to this month's episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host Paula Wiseman and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with comedian, actress, writer and improv superstar Sharon Mannion. So hi Sharon, thanks for chatting with me today.
1: Hi Paula and thank you for calling me a superstar, that's uh, nice. You know, <laughs> no, no pressure, no pressure. Oh, none, none received. I'm just happy to go with that title. <laughs> I've been put, trying to push it for years, really. Yeah. You're the first one who's taken it up. Yeah, You, you can put it on
0: your CV now. You know, it's official. I will. Um, so usually I start off by talking about people's childhood. Oh, um, here we what, go. What you were like as a kid. You know, everyone seems to have different stories. They're either really, really quiet or they were just this, you know, all singing, all dancing thing Ooh, so when, when, when did you fall in
1: that in that well not the all singing all dancing <laughs> irritating kid I hope uh I was a very I was an anxious child I think is probably best described I didn't really realize this until I wrote a, a show a couple of years ago that was about my childhood and I realized that I was a mess a hot mess really and I were, had a lot of internal uh worries about the end of the world and The Third Secret of Fatima and just, you know, meteorites falling from the sky and killing me and just real, real night. But I never told anybody, obviously, because I didn't want to bother anybody. (laughs) So. um, (laughs) So, yeah, I think I was um, I think probably on the surface, I probably seemed like a easygoing enough, laid back, quiet, you know, chilled type. But I was probably like one of those ducks that was paddling furiously my mind was going whoa, whoa, a lot of the time <laughs> so I don't know what's that I don't know what that is yeah I don't that's know. the kind of child I was I yeah. don't know
0: we could we could overanalyse it you know for, <laughs> for
1: days and days to come but um yes. what did you want to be when you left school
0: did you have kind of all your aspirations of did you have an idea in your mind of exactly what you wanted to do
1: Oh, yeah. I wanted to be an actor. Basically, that happened pretty quick, pretty early on. So, I mean, I when I was really young, I do remember like I wanted to be a hairdresser at some point and a <laughs> model at some point. Before I realized that I was short and fat, I think I realized that, you know, I wanted to be a model. I thought you could just do that. But uh, so there was a few little um, flirtations with other ideas, but no. And a journalist, I remember, and a lawyer, that kind of stuff. But pretty early on, like when it was in primary school, we did. My mom was kind of involved in a local uh it's a competition run by the GAA called score and basically it was singing and dancing but there was this one segment of it which was a novelty act section was, which was essentially short like three minutes comedy sketches so she was kind of involved in that in the adult sort of competition and subsequently got got us kids doing it just as sort of for fun and like once I started doing that I was like oh this is amazing I love it I could dress up as an old lady till the day I die and be happy but I really thought I wanted to be like I wanted to be a serious actor kind of thing that's what I you know I thought my future was serious acting so I went to I went to acting uh school after um secondary school and you know kind of continually got cast in the sort of quirky comedy roles but wasn't a bit pleased about it you know it was very I wanted to be Juliet I mean you know I, again I did I think I had a lot of issues I was never the tall statuesque Lady Macbeth type but I thought I was a serious actor and so anyway struggled along at that for a couple of years and kind of and then started doing improv really was kind of my my moment when I copped on myself Sorry, yeah. that was a very long answer to what did you want to be? No, so. we like, we like long answers. <laughs> so, I mean, did you have, did you have any kind of like normal jobs
0: when you when you left school?
1: Well, well, Paula, oh, let dear. me strap yourself in. So, um, when I was, I mean, I had summer jobs and stuff, obviously as a kid, yeah. I worked in a chipper, uh, that was great. And I worked well. I tried to work in a guest house, but they fired me because I was too slow at sweeping apparently so thought was a bit harsh it was my first day I was only 15 very, anyway, harsh. very harsh I mean at least give me a chance to speed up before you fire me like you know um but when I left when I finished the leave insert I knew I was going to college in September but there was a chicken factory and they were hiring loads of people and if you said you would go full-time like if you said this was it you wanted your career in the chicken factory you got paid more money so obviously I said, <laughs> well, hello, chicken factory. This is where I want to be. So I started working there and I was on one, like I was on a line scraping fat and bones off chicken breasts and alongside people who had been there for like 15 plus years. Oh, and wow. it it was kind of like what I'm, it was prisoner cell block H basically <laughs> <laughs> in Ruscommon. I mean, one day, there was a few of us now. It wasn't just me. There's a couple of people from school, did it? Like one day, some girl started firing bits of chicken meat at me for no, I mean, I didn't know why. I think I said hello to her when she went to the toilet. <laughs> I mean, it was that type of place. It was like prison, basically. You had to just like keep your head down and just, you know, try not to piss anybody off too much. And uh, yeah, I, I needless to say, so I le- I was there for the summer and I left in September I went to college now over the years obviously I've had loads of you know jobs here there and everywhere to kind of try and especially in the early years where you're trying to make a living so I mean I've done it all I've done done stores I've done telemarketing everything <laughs> Santa's kingdom I was there when the the day the roof fell in <laughs> I was actually trapped for I mean trapped is a little bit of an exaggeration but I was kind of trapped for a for a minute uh, when the roof fell in. that was a. F- I don't know if you remember that. Um, <laughs> so were you, were you an elf? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> no, I was a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> My job was basically, it was actually a bit creepy. I was, there was a load of, so there was a load of Santas. There wasn't just the one, obviously. <gasps> and each grotto had a little peephole uh, where... <laughs> where you, where you could um where people could come in and have a look no where the photographers were set up and um would take the pictures or whatever and then um print them off and all the rest and there was a so so Santa's kingdom was was a big exhibition thing out in was it Punchestown or Fairy House one of the or Goths, i think uh race course and uh, yeah basically the roof fell in one day <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing uh was obviously cancelled that day obviously but it was cancelled then you know for obviously they'd been cutting corners or something I don't know now nobody was injured or whatever but I was trapped for you know a little minute it was like ah how am I going to get out oh look I oh, can just kind of you know there. well, well there's blame there's a claim
0: as they say I know i, sh- I
1: was I, I missed the trick there I should have I should have limped for a bit longer, actually,
0: yeah, we found this this whole other side to going to see
1: Santa now I know it is I'm telling it. You, it's a minefield <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, we'll never look the the at
0: scenes. never look at Santa in the same way again, mm. yeah mm. no i I did the whole chicken chicken factory thing as well
1: Did and you? I, I
0: did it was horrific I was there I think ah. I was I was there for about six months, I think, but it was just, you know, you know that like when you're you're having to pull the skin off.
1: Yeah. Oh man. It was horrible. Which which chicken factory did you work in?
0: This was over in the UK.
1: Oh, Um, right. Okay. I don't
0: think they exist anymore. (laughs) It doesn't exist anymore. But um, yeah, yeah, we used to get a, we used to get a turkey every, every week. They give
1: everyone a free. (laughs) Oh God. I mean, we used to, all sorts of rumors would start as well because we, so we were on the line that would scrape off the, crap basically and all that crap would go into a bucket yeah kind of at the end and of course all these rumors were like oh that's what goes into chicken nuggets (laughs) that's what they that's what they make you know chicken tenders out of and everybody used to be like oh I'll never eat chicken again but I don't know I love chicken I still love chicken I eat chicken all the
0: time oh no there'd be there'd be bits going on the floor you know and people would be like picking them up pick them up put them back in there
1: Oh, Oh, it was horrible. The the
0: smell, even the smell, I don't think is ever.
1: Smell, yeah. And one day, I I still have a scar. I stabbed (laughs) myself really badly in the finger with the really sharp knife. And I think, like, a mixture of because I was only 17 and also the fact that it was prison, essentially. I was too afraid to, like, tell anybody that I had stabbed (laughs) myself. So I basically, like, fainted in the changing room and kind of like was like whoa what am I gonna do with this finger and went home and just like and of course you know my mother was a very stereotypical Irish mother so I mean unless my finger had actually fallen (laughs) off she wasn't really but I still look at it and go I clearly needed stitches like because it's still not right anyway. She was like, get back to work. Get back to work. Get back. Yeah. I mean, my hand, this was not this was unrelated to the stabbing incident, but like my hand was like in the shape of a claw, like for (laughs) that whole summer. Like it was just like, oh, it was awful. It was awful. It was all,
0: you know, it all went towards your act your acting career, you know. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's I mean, that's if you need motivation in life, that is like, OK, it's make make this career work or go back to the chicken factory. So <laughs> it's like, I got to make this work. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things, though, isn't it?
0: It's like you don't really ever want to tell anybody that you worked in a chicken factory because it just sounds like you were you couldn't do anything else. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I know. Even though that's probably true, but I find I tell everybody it's like <laughs> it's like a bad scar. I just want everybody to see my bad trauma. Giovanna. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. No,
0: mm. it was just, it was horrible. That's all I remember mm. about it. Um, mm. So obviously you went to college. So how soon did you get your first paid job?
1: Oh, that was is it... a good question. I don't know because it it like, you know the way you end up doing kind of like, I can't remember my very first paid job, I have to say, because you kind of do things that are profit share and they're sort of, yeah, they're yeah. kind of paid, they're not really paid. So that's a good... It's a good question, but there's a, probably a few things that stand out in my mind as like the first, like as in, well, I was a huge Tommy Tiernan fan, for example. Now, this is kind of jumping on in a few years, but yeah. I remember I'd been doing stand up a while and I was doing I got a call to do Cuba, which was a gig down in Galway. Uh-huh. And Tommy Tommy Tiernan was going to be emceeing. And that was like I felt like I had won the lotto, you know, just to be in the same to be on the same lineup as Tommy Tiernan, yeah. like that blew my mind, you know, at the time. So that was a major thing that sticks out. And another one then was probably, and again, this is jumping forward a few years, but we were, we, again, I was doing comedy a while and stuff and we, we had formed a sketch group a few of us and we were writing sketches and we got a call then from Republic of Telly to, which was a, a show on RT2, to well initially to like show our sketch and then sort of that developed into writing on it and et cetera et cetera but I remember that first call like feeling like wow this is so big you know somebody's like calling us to like go and do it oh wow so so like things like that rather than rather than when was my first paid gig I can't really remember but there's little markers like that that kind of stick out as really significant moments along the journey you know
0: Yeah, so I mean, what came first, or or did it all come first—the acting or the comedy—or were you always kind of dabbling in the with Um, the comedy stuff anyway?
1: I think no. Well, I think like I say, when I went to college, I was like, "It's Lady Macbeth for nothing (laughs) (laughs) for me." I mean, this is I am a serious, and I and I remember in so, for example, in the shit. Now we didn't do that many shows in college. We weren't really that type of college. We'd do one show a year, sort of thing. So there was only like three. Big performances. Um, so it was only three shows. And the first show was a, a devised piece. So that was kind of just we were all just basically playing ourselves. But uh the Shakespeare, then I remember we did As You Like It and I played Phoebe. And I don't know if you know As You Like It, but Phoebe's the kind of like <laughs> she's the sort of I don't know why I'm going to say mountain goat. She's not a mountain goat, <laughs> but like she's just sort of like um she's you know, she's the comedy quirky sort of yeah. silly, you know. Yeah and oh I was really like looking back I I was an idiot but like at the time I was really like disappointed and my two best friends got the lead roles of Rosalind and Celia and I was like oh what's wrong with me I'm an idiot Ugh. I'm just stupid like I always I saw comedy as this like if people laughed at me I didn't people were always laughing at me but I took it as an insult do you know what I mean yeah, I thought I yeah. kind of I didn't think it was a nice thing. I thought they were laughing at me because I was ugly or fat or silly or stupid or whatever. So, and then we we did dancing at Lunasa then, and I played the part of Rose, which is a lovely part if you if you know the the play. But again, she's probably the she's not that she's the simple is described in the in the piece. She's the simple kind of character, so she's quite an innocent character. So that was a, a lovely role because for me because I kind of felt like that. It wasn't comedy and it wasn't silly. It was definitely drama, but it was kind of quirky. And that's what I thought my sort of future was, was those Mm. kind of roles like. And then I left drama school and wasn't really getting much work, like little bits here and there, but nothing major and profit shares and stupid stuff and all the rest. And then I started doing improv in the halfpenny laugh at the time. And that was it. That was like, Once I started, doing, I'd always loved improv. I'd loved watching it on the telly and stuff, but I'd never done it before. But I started doing it and I just my mind was blown immediately because I loved it. I really I was good at it. People were laughing and I enjoyed I felt the power of the laugh as opposed to they're just laughing at me. I felt like we were laughing together kind of. Yeah. And I met loads of people, like-minded people, obviously, you know, who are also doing improv and stuff. And I was just surrounded by comedy. Like in the happening at that time was just, you know, <clears throat> there was Battle of the Axe on a Tuesday, which was an open mic kind of thing. And we would have the improv there on a Thursday. And there was just, it was just comedy everywhere. So I was kind of just immersed in it. And that really just, yeah, that was kind of the turning point in the sense of, I started doing improv then I started going hmm, maybe I'll do stand-up hmm. started doing stand-up you know hey maybe I'll start writing some sketches started doing that and and then I just kind of then everything went on from there and and really like the bulk of the vast majority of my work now is in comedy I still get the odd like random serious role but I'm constantly surprised <laughs> when I get a, a series. well you know if I get cast in something when it's like there's no comedy. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Why do they want me? So, yeah. So I would say it's 90% comedy now and 10% serious stuff. But I, I'm much more at home in comedy, like 100%. So I think if I was to say, you know, you say which came first, it, technically the acting came first. But like, I think I was always, it was always comedy. I just was kind of afraid of it or something. I was, I needed, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And until you're comfortable in your own skin, you can't fully do comedy because you can't hide, you know, you can't be up there sort of like um, you can have low confidence and low self-esteem, but in fact, all comedians do. But you have to kind of you have to be comfortable, I think, in your skin and sort of be willing to be kind of like, all right, fuck it. This is just who I am. So until I kind of got into that headspace myself, I was afraid of comedy like, but now now I'm not. <laughs>
0: Look at you now. Look
1: at you now. Yay.
0: I mean I suppose there's a lot I, I suppose everyone has to dabble, don't they, initially. Hmm. You know, you're dabbling, hmm. you're trying trying different things to see what suits you as a person as a and as a performer. Yeah. Uh, and then when you find your niche, you can kind of get into it and then expand on yeah, it. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think you're kind of always dabbling. I'm always dabbling anyway, like and I mean sometimes I guess everybody's different. I don't know, like, I, but I've—I mean, I can only speak to my own experience. But I never wanted to be just a, a stand-up comedian, yeah. or just a writer, or just a whatever. I always kind of wanted to do everything, you know. And even like when I started doing stand-up and that was going really well for a while, but like I didn't want to—I never wanted to just pursue that. You know, it was never a case of, oh, great. Uh, you know, and I mean, in fact, arguably early on in my career, I probably got more traction as a stand-up than anything else, you know, at that at that point. So, you know, it might have made sense for me to go, I'll just throw all my eggs in the in the stand-up yeah. basket and kind of run with that. But I never really, yeah, I never I still don't want to just do one thing. I don't yeah. really know what I want to do. I kind of just want to do everything all the time. <laughs> um and sometimes I think it would be more advantageous to sort of focus in on one thing and 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 go with that but I don't know I guess that's just not me you know I enjoy Mm. I enjoy just dabbling I enjoy you know it's nice for me it's nice to do probably the only thing that if somebody said you could do like all day every day for the rest of your life well paid never do anything else if it was improv that's probably the only thing that I would go all right then I'll give up everything else and stick with that
0: yeah well I I suppose it helps having a lot of strings to your bow anyway do you know what I mean and then you've got all these you'd have all these different options of things you could do you know
1: I think so but then like I suppose the the negative is that you're you know warning I'm about to butcher a phrase here but what is it the jack of all trades and master of none or something that's is it that, yeah did yeah. i get it Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Well done. <laughs> i should have had more confidence there uh you know sometimes i feel there's a little bit of a danger of that 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 you're kind of like but i don't know i mean that's just being i guess every you know you always second guess or think oh if only i was whoever name in yeah. insert name of wonderful artist you know so I, all you can do really is kind of follow your own sort of um path and do what feels right like I really wanted to do before I did I did a theater show a few years ago and that was a big thing in my head I really wanted to do a one-woman show you know so I just kind of I followed that then for a while and and actually and after that then I was like oh I don't think I really want to do another one of them but now lately I'm the last kind of year I'm like no actually I want to do another one of those so I think I think it's probably good or no harm to be sort of to listen to your gush when it's kind of saying, "Hey, maybe try this now," but also yeah. like, I'm available for work if anybody <laughs> wants. to <give> me work. <laughs> I want to make that very clear.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's available. Um, yeah. So, do you have a do you have a favourite part of what you do? Uh, I mean, yeah, I know you were saying about the improv is kind of at, at the forefront at the moment. But do you have a favourite? I mean, I suppose with a lot of people, they seem to be if they're working in telly they want to be working on you know they want to be mm-hmm. on a stage or if they're on a stage they want to be doing telly
1: yeah yeah I know it is and it is a bit of that that like if you're doing one thing for too long you kind of go oh god I'd love to just you know not be writing all day and just yeah. gig or whatever vice versa so there definitely is a little bit of that but like the improv probably just gives me the most joy like in the mm. sense of it's so like even a bad improv gig is still great crack, like, because you're having great crack, you know? And, and, the, and I, the thing I love about improv is that you don't have, you couldn't prepare even if you wanted to. So there's none yeah. of that. The thing with stand up is that obviously you have to write a lot, which is fine. I enjoy writing. But like, you know, even on the day of a stand up gig, it's, it's in your mind and you're kind of might be running through bits and you're like, oh, maybe I'll try this bit. And, you know it can like as somebody who is prone to overthinking anyway stand-up can be a bit of a nightmare on that front whereas with improv it's just like oh you don't even just turn up in a reasonably (laughs) half decent mood try not to be hammered (laughs) and um (laughs) you know and just and just play so so i do love that i really do but i love i love writing as well i really love writing and 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 even lately, you know, in the last couple of years, I've done more writing for stuff that I'm not necessarily performing, you know, I've written for a couple of TV shows and stuff. And yeah, I get great pleasure out of that too. And, and then, I mean, look, it's, there's nothing, it's sometimes there's nothing as glorious as just being on a set and just having your every whim <laughs> catered to and biscuits everywhere. And you just, you know, a taxi coming for you and picking you up. Like when, when we were on Bridget and Aiman, a lot of that coincided with when the kids were very small. And it was just so lovely to just like leave the house at six in the morning and not come back until (laughs) (laughs) half seven at night, you know, I just, and then just get into bed. Like I love, so sometimes I just love that, you know, um, especially when it's on, if you're filming on something where you're, you're in the sort of main cast or whatever, you're there a lot, you know, sometimes just doing a day or something on, on a shoot, um, On something that's established it's still brilliant but you know you're just the new you're always you're the newcomer and you're just kind of getting to know everybody and then you're kind of wrapped or whatever but if it's something where you know you're doing three three or four seasons and you're there all the time it's just so much fun like because everybody knows everybody and everybody's comfortable and it's just yeah so I do love that too so I kind of love it all probably my least probably way down in my list is probably theater stuff I would Mm. say because it's a it's really hard work <laughs> it's a lot of pressure as well isn't it it's a lot of, yeah it's a lot of pressure and it's a lot it's just very it's a it's really time intensive you yeah. know it's just it's just really really hard work so yeah I still love that and every now and again I get a goo for it for sure mm. but I would probably put that a little bit to, but again I'm available for work <laughs> just want to say and if I if you cast me I'll 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 be very enthusiastic <laughs>
0: I mean do you ever do you ever suffer from nerves I mean I know I've, a lot of people I've spoken to when they're off stage they're about to go on stage and they're just like oh my god what am I doing but then they get on stage mm. and it's it just all kind of everything fits into place
1: yeah I definitely do like I definitely I wouldn't say I've I, I would say thankfully it's been you know, controllable kind of thing. It's never been something that has got out of control on me, but yeah, for sure. I suffer mm. with nerves or like, I think that for me and pro- probably for a lot of people, but for me, if I'm tired, you know, that's when, that's when I can find that. It's kind of an energy thing for me. If I'm low energy, that's when those kind of nerves can maybe creep in because it's almost like, a nerve. It's almost like nerves that I can't do this, you know, more so than I'm so afraid of whatever the, the stage. It's more like, I don't know if I have the energy to do this. And I found that particularly when I was doing my one woman show, like I didn't, I had totally underestimated the energy required to do that. And again, my kids were quite small and stuff when I was doing it. So I probably had, in fact, I debuted that show over two nights when I was like five or six months pregnant or something stupid, (laughs) you know, I was a fucking idiot, like an absolute, I'll be grand, I'll be fine, (laughs) I can do it. God almighty, women have been having babies for centuries. (laughs) Um, I was an absolute idiot, an idiot. And so that, and even then, so that, okay, obviously I took a break then. But like then when I would have been touring that show, the kids were still quite small. So I was wrecked anyway, myself. And then just the sort of anybody who's ever done a one person show will realize that it is really like it's really intensive in terms of just like the energy that you have to bring because it's like you're literally controlling everything, you know. So so I found that really at times stressful like to the like yeah there's definitely some performances of that that I can't say I enjoyed you know because it was just like so that was and that I would put that in the bracket of nerves because it's not so much that I would be like oh knees rattling because I don't want people looking at me or whatever it's yeah. it's just like do I have yeah. the energy like can I literally get to the end of this without collapsing you know? <laughs> oh, <Christ>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so what what memories do you have of your first stand-up gig or have you just
1: totally oh totally blanked it out no my first stand-up gig like most people's I think the first one is just a dream like I mean you just you think wow I've made it in your naivety you think like oh wow I didn't realize great my first one was um so with the cat laughs in Kilkenny there used to be a kind of a fringe sort of a um, informal not official festival but a kind of an a, There'd be a lot of accompanying gigs that would go on around the town while, while the festival was on and so the improv the hapenny improv used to go down every summer with that and it might have been the first summer that I went with the improv or maybe the second and they were in this the venue that they were doing the improv they were also putting on um some stand-up or whatever and I had said fine in the couple of months previous to that I had said fine I'll do 10 minutes or 15 minutes whatever at that gig so I remember it like really vividly and like you talk about nerves I mean Jesus Christ I was just like you know when you just have so much excess energy like I was I just remember walking around Kilkenny like for miles just like brisk walking just (laughs) trying (laughs) trying desperately to sort of get rid of some of the adrenaline you know I think I just walked 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 and whizzed up onto the stage like it was just so yeah the first gig went great obviously because it's just like such an explosion of pent-up energy and everything and of course you've been working on your material for months usually you know up to the first gig so uh you've had time maybe to string a few thoughts together and all the rest so it went great and I was delighted with it and I was like oh yeah Grant this that's brilliant that's me done now I'll be doing stand-up and then of course I had my second gig and went Jesus Christ
0: (laughs) (laughs) what am I doing
1: (laughs) what the hell happened I thought I was good at this you know yeah it's been the been quite the roller coaster since then i think you're kind of it must be a little bit like doing heroin you're always chasing that first (laughs) again i haven't done heroin and if you cast me i will not bring that into the rehearsal room uh but yeah it's just you're always kind of chasing that first high i think Mm. it's very hard to it's very hard to get back to that sort of um there's such an innocence to it and it's lovely i think it's lovely i'm really i'm really jealous are not jealous is maybe a strong word, but I love seeing people get ready to do their first gig, you know, because I think it's just, even if they never do a gig again, you know, I think just kind of, it's a bit like jumping out of a plane. And I think it's, it's a lovely thing to watch people feel like they can't do it, I can't do that, I can't do that. And then they get to the point where they're like, okay, I can, I can, I'm gonna do it. And then they just like <laughs> they go. It's it's lovely. I, I love it. I never tire of seeing people's uh first gig because once you do your first gig, then th- the thoughts kind of come in, you know, slowly but surely of like whatever. Where but, but I think for your first gig it's a little easier to just have that attitude of like, I'm just gonna do it and who cares? You know? <laughs> whatever.
0: So, I mean, is it a, a natural skill? I know I was talking to, to Joe Rooney a while ago and he was saying about how he'd done all these classes and things about for improv, you know, to kind of get all the bare bones and stuff. Is it a natural thing or is it something you've kind of had to learn over the years?
1: Do you mean improv or just comedy in general? Imp-
0: improv. I mean, improv, it's a very... Uh, to think that you've just got to come up with stuff off the top of your head just from you know something that somebody else has said is it something that you've had to learn or have you found that it's a natural it's been a fairly I, natural yeah thing?
1: I think I would say both in a way like I think personally speaking yeah it feels natural and it, from the moment I started doing improv I felt like oh this feels great and I you know I know how to do this or I'm comfortable doing this etc etc but like for sure I've got miles better over the years I was probably shit you know what I mean I probably would look back now and go stop it stop talking or whatever so I think it's certainly with improv I think there are kind of basic kind of um I hesitate to say rules because that kind of implies things that you definitely should or shouldn't do. But they're yeah. guidelines, I suppose. They're sort of quite basic kind of guidelines that I think are really helpful to kind of know. I mean, I wouldn't be one for overly prescribing what you should and sh- and shouldn't be doing in improv scenes because I think at the end of the day it's improv, so you have to just kind of let it go where it goes. So I I, I suppose I would fall somewhere in the middle with that that. I think, it, but I mean, the, the thing is, I always say this about improv, like the things that make somebody a good improviser are the things that make somebody a good human. Mm. Like it's, you know, it's listening and listening with intent and with purpose and actually listening to what the person is saying. And, you know, um, it's yes-ending, you know, that sort of <laughs> everyone slags yes-ending, but like it is that kind of idea of sort of building on something together. Like, and it's, it's it sounds very sort of airy-fairy and it's easily- easy to take the mick out of it but it's it's quite sort of decent human behavior listen to what the person opposite you is saying and try and try and respond you know with something that's like try and respond in a sort of a positive way which which doesn't mean that you can't talk about negative things but just communicate like just communicate it's just really about good good communication Mm. and stuff So I think that if you're a natural, like I would, you know, myself and Danny would often say this, like if you were at a party or something, you can spot people who could potentially be good improvisers because they're not the one who's shouting over everybody, for example, or, you know, not listening or not, you know, whatever. They're the person. Yeah, they're the person who's communicating effectively. So so that I think that's the basic stuff that comes naturally to some people over others you know
0: yeah that's a proper skill though isn't it do you know what I mean it's not I don't think
1: it's something that anybody could do yeah I suppose probably not I mean I don't know it's hard to know because I think yeah I don't know it's hard to know. I guess if you're funny as well I suppose if you're if you have probably what makes it a really good improviser is, is somebody who has those kind of basic communication skills and is good at listening and is good at kind of you know, collaboration, but is also funny and quick-witted and stuff like that. So I suppose that's where somebody could be a good communicator and could be born as (laughs) shy or not (laughs) funny, you know, and equally, people can be really, really funny, hilariously funny and not necessarily good improvisers. So I think it's probably a kind of a marriage of the two where it's like there is a skill, but but that maybe gets back to, I'm not sure it's something that you, like, I don't know if you can learn to be Really funny or quick witted. I'm not sure. It's kind of yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. so I mean, what do you think? Is there is there a
0: huge difference between um, American does comedy travel?
1: I think it depends on the kind of comedy. Like I do often think now. It's a while since I've been in the states. Obviously because. Leading in lockdown like most of us Uh, yeah exactly Uh, but i used to go fairly relatively frequently to the states and most recently i went to i did um, a headline the kansas city irish festival when was that 20 2019 so that was the last time i was there so and i always try and grab some comedy when i'm over there and and all the rest Uh, i always think there's a a difference between american stand-up comedy and i'm talking now about sort of the comedy that you'll see in the clubs over there, as opposed to kind of the huge breakout stars, because I mean, huge breakout stars tend to be sort of quite international and global just by their nature, I suppose. But like, if, if you're going to just like a club in New York or whatever, I think it's quite different to a club in Ireland or a club in the UK. I think there is different styles and I I sometimes find the American kind of style can be a little bit like oh um white people do this and black people do this and (laughs) Jewish people do this and Italians do this isn't that crazy and it's like oh okay (laughs) um so you know now I'm being very unfair there and I'm sure there's like I need to see more comedy over there I'm not I'm certainly not suggesting that nobody's doing you know original comedy over there but but sometimes you just walk into a sort of a random club over there. That's sometimes what the perception can be. And I think that's a bit, I think that's in, and probably in Ireland, I suppose it does, again, very generally speaking, tend to be more story based or anecdotal or kind of observational or whatever way you want to call it. So I think there are differences in style there, but as regards to like overall senses of humor, I mean, Know we all watch American shows, we all watch Mm. British shows, like so. So, good comedy does tend to travel well, you know. Once it uh, once it kind of gets out of its own country, sometimes (laughs) its own country is the thing that's in the way of it, you know. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. And improv, I think, travels very well, actually. I think improv does tend to travel well, and I think probably the thing about improv is that you're responding you you tend to be responding to the people in the room anyway so I suppose wherever you're performing you kind of end up soaking up some of that it's like the way if you perform improv for kids like you're not really doing anything differently than you would in a show for adults but mm. yes it it is age appropriate just because that's what's in front of you kind of thing so it sort of seeps in you're not gonna say fuck <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you see the whites of a three-year-old's eyes you know <laughs> especially if it's your own daughter but anyway um yeah so I think comedy does travel and probably but like actually haven't said that I'm about to contradict myself now hugely so uh strap yourself in again <laughs> like I did notice um say in the states that that time we were over there doing a lot of improv like we went to see improv in Chicago New York and LA all on the same kind of trip and it was very different actually mm. the three the sort of so Chicago was the real kind of like hey we're purists and we're just doing we're just doing it for the love of it, man and just you know whatever and then New York was kind of a bit more cutthroat and like yeah. I I want to get my own sitcom thank you very much <laughs> so I'll <laughs> I'll take all the funny lines thank you and then LA was just like that on a on another scale so yeah. but then I, I guess you could argue that that's the performers responding to the environment that they're in as well, so even looking at like the the
0: likes of Whose Line, um, yeah. you know, back in the 80s, everyone was watching the UK version with all the well, most of them 90% of them were American, you know, apart from like the Tony Slattery's and uh, yeah. you know, Paul Mertens and stuff. Frosty. And then, yeah. uh, yes, 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 he's still doing good things, still doing good things, so. Let's talk about you. Talk you talk there about doing improv and stuff. We have to talk about your part of the Dublin Comedy Improv, lovely guys. So, how did you get involved with them originally? When you were you, so you are in the Ha'penny to yeah, start so, to start with. Was that how it kind of started initially?
1: Kind of, yeah. So I was in the halfpenny to start with, and then there wasn't that much improv around at the time in general. So there was only at that point there was only really the halfpenny and the international or there was maybe a couple of smaller groups kind of actually there was one in Fibsborough at one stage um the Bohemians or something but but it was like the improv scene essentially didn't exist it was really really small so then I joined the crack pack which was a a club in the bankers comedy club so that was Peter Byrne and Neve Shaw and Dermot Byrne uh, and Danny Keogh as well so we did that downstairs in the bankers for like 10, 10 years or something. So that was every Friday night. That was great. And, and improv was kind of starting to grow a bit more at that point as well, just in general. Mm. And then how did I get into the Dublin comedy improv? How did I get into it? I don't know. I think I just just hung around outside for long enough. And then they were like, who are you? No, I think, I think they started doing some workshops or something and, or there was like, there was a com yeah, there was Comic Book Agency. was an agency that started up a short-lived agency. And a few of us were, on I was on that as a stand-up. And then, but the Dublin Comedy Improv were on that as a group. And then Deborah who was running that and Sharon, who were on that were like, oh, you know, basically here, you have to play with Sharon now as well, go on. So um, that was it, did some workshops and kind of just, you know, hung around like a bad smell. And then eventually they started putting me on the rota. And I don't know if they realize I'm, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) So was that that where you met Danny initially? No, no. We had met before that. Initially, we met in the Hapenny years Mm -hmm. and years ago. Yeah. So, but um, no, so we were going out and everything by then. And yeah, everybody thinks, everybody always, like me and Danny did an ad for uh, (laughs) contraception a few years ago. (laughs) And this rumor started that like, that's where they met. They met on the set for the condom ad. No, no, we did not. No, no, no. We had known each other for the ha- from the halfpenny. so we were friends for a while. And no, we were together a good, well, we were together. God, I totally lose track of years, but we were together a little while before we were in the Dublin comedy improv. Yeah. But we don't bring our relationship into the, the workspace. <laughs> <laughs> I would just oh, say, very...
0: Danny, Danny has a very impressive collection of hats and wigs oh and they're
1: all his own they're all his own he washes them do you know he washes them Some, sometimes i come home and i find the wigs out in the clothesline and i'm like this boy's been at it again washing his wigs yeah <laughs> yeah no it's a great group
0: isn't it you know you've kind of got people from all different you've got uh, kevin i'm probably gonna forget somebody kevin joe ian paul michelle graham and obviously, Danny. And uh, yeah, so so how did the, the Monday night thing that we know now, the Zoom and Facebook live thing that you do at <laughs> nine o'clock on a Monday evening. Um, so how did that all start? Was it just the case of that you all kind of got together and said, look, we're in lockdown. We need to do something just to kind of basically, like, I mean, keep, that, our, that was, keep our hands in.
1: Yeah, basically, that was kind of it. Like, I mean, we yeah, kind of it because it's God, it feels so long ago now because so much has happened. Like, but yeah, like everybody, when everything was shut down, obviously you're just going, what the hell is this? And, and of course, initially you're kind of feeling like, um, well, we'll be back you know by the summer <laughs> or whatever yeah. you know it's just a few weeks, blah blah blah. But pretty early on, I can't remember exactly when we started, but I think we started as early as April. We kind yeah, of yeah I think initially when initially we said, "Oh, look, we'll meet for some workshops or something. You see, I think the fact that we were all in the same position because we were all performers, so like mm. you know, like obviously with friends and family there's all sorts of different situations. Some people are in, uh, like I have one of my best friends was, is a nurse, for example. So she was working mad, you know, yeah. um, other friends were working from home and family working. From, so everybody was kind of in different situations, but, but also as a group of performers, obviously we're all kind of in the same boat. So I think that like, I know for me personally, like I definitely leaned on everybody a lot because it kind of felt like this was a bit of a lifeboat <laughs> you know this group I'm just gonna I'm just you know so we were kind of having a lot of zoom calls and just like we were doing quizzes and things and we were like oh we should do some workshops and see if we can develop any games online and or you know through zoom and stuff and then yeah that kind of quickly sort of went sure, look at we should just start doing the gigs <laughs> we should just start doing this and that was kind of it and then we were like oh maybe we will set up a little ko account a few weeks after then we we're like maybe we'll set up a little ko account and uh let people tip or whatever like and, and that was it and and like then every i mean ian does the rota. he always has done the rota, like in pre-covid as well so like you know every time now he usually does them two months in advance and like only the other day again he was getting availability for July and August. And it's just like, I'm sorry. I didn't realize we'd still be here, but can I have your availability for July and August? It's like, you know, if you'd have told us then we'd still be doing zoom Yeah. by, you know, the following summer, I'd be like, well, shoot me now. thanks. <laughs> Not that, I mean, don't get me wrong. The gigs, I really enjoy the gigs and they've been great to do. But like, I think we all obviously assumed we'd be back gigging in real life. Um, you know, we didn't like we even that like when we got onto the Zoom first, we were like, "Well, we don't want to pay for a year of Zoom because that would be a waste of money because we'd only be using it for a couple of yeah, months." So we yeah, were yeah. we were paying by the month, and then eventually we sort of went, "We're going to have to accept the fact that we're <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in this for the long haul." So, um, yeah, so we listen. It's great. It's been it's been really good for us, I think, as a group to just have it and just be like something to be especially in the early days of lockdown when it was just like what the actual fuck is going on (laughs) you know (laughs) seriously does anybody know what the hell is going on it was lovely to just kind of have some some silliness and just like well look let's just do this for an hour and have a bit of crack so yeah it's been great it's been really good yeah
0: yeah, I mean I suppose that was a that was the thing with Zoom. It changed the way that do you know what I mean? It changed a lot of things for a lot of people, especially for performers, you know, mm. having to learn new new technology to,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: to work it's a, and stuff.
1: It's a different kind of a, it's just a different form. Like, I mean, it doesn't like a lot of yeah, a lot of stuff has moved online. Like I, I can't some theater like Michelle did a theater piece recently streamed online and you know it's great I mean I think it's great but I can't quite like I don't know if I'm just I'm still stubbornly kind of going I just want my life back 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 back." do you know what I mean I don't want to really embrace this new world too much because I was real happy with the old one you know (laughs) So uh, there's a bit of that, like, it's great to be doing things and it's great to see people doing things, but I'm also like, but can we, let's not forget, like, that we want to, we want to go back, don't we? We all want to go back, don't we? (laughs) Don't we? Am I the only one? Everybody wants to go back. Yeah.
0: We really, really do. So, I mean, talking, let's go back in time. So when we, Mm -hmm. when we had, when we had a bit of normality, um, have you gigged in many sort of weird, you must have gigged in some
1: weird places. Oh. Of course. I mean, God, Jesus Christ, of course. (laughs) I'm trying to think. I mean, one that springs to mind was just like, this was our sketch group actually at the time and a sketch group called Ghost Train Willie. And uh, we were booked to do this gig, which we, we didn't really realize, I think, what it was beforehand. I can't quite remember now. We knew it was a fundraiser and it was in like a fancy hotel kind of a thing and so it turned out it was it was quite sad actually it was for it was a fundraiser for this young woman who had passed away from some illness or something can't remember now but she had done some really good work like uh she was building an orphanage or something amazing like oh out in some yeah and so this was a fundraiser just basically that like continue her work like so it was a really kind of really nice fundraiser you know and there was music and singing and all the rest but like it was just an example of bad emceeing because it was like, so they did, they chose the, the night. Her family were all there, obviously, you know, and they'd had like fun and music and all the rest. But then they chose, then obviously there was a portion when it was like, let's just kind of remember why, why we're here. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And so they showed a montage of this woman and that went on for like 10 or 15 minutes of her and her life and what she was doing. And obviously her, Family were were really upset, yeah. obviously watching this. And then they brought out a girl to sing "Somewhere Over the Rainbow," <laughs> which really emotional. Wow. And you know, this so this entire segment had gone on for about twenty minutes. And yeah. then the MC came out, and we were supposed to be on next, but doing like a, a sketch that we had rather inappropriately titled "Scumbag News," which was basically us in tracksuits going like, "Are I right, here? The news, you know." So this whole segment had gone on for 20 minutes, and it was all like everybody was like really feeling the loss, you know. Yeah. And then the MC just went out and went, Wow, you know, what an amazing woman. Ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Train Willie. We were like, Are you fucking serious? Like, are you actually fucking serious? So we had planned to come out, like the start of our sketch was supposed to be like, oh no, 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 no. But obviously we couldn't do that. So like on the spot, I had to deliver a speech about this woman who I didn't even know. So I felt like really kind of disingenuous and in me tracksuit and me hoopy earrings, like going like it's such a pleasure for us to be here and it's an honor. And anyway, here's our sketch. All right, <laughs> oh, my God. oh So that was like no to be fair, they were such a lovely crowd and her family were gorgeous, you know. So they they actually went with it and it and it was fine. But like, yeah, stuff like that where it's just like You might want to, you know, as an MC, you might want to change the tone a bit before you bring on the clowns. Thanks, you know. (laughs) So that sticks sticks out. I'm trying to think of anything else. There was one in the the States somewhere at the back of a video store. It was just like, I remember walking up and down. I had the address on a bit of paper and it was like, uh, it's here somewhere. We were like, well, it can't be there. The only thing there is a video shop. And then we were like, yeah. And then eventually we're like, shit I think it's at the end of that video shop so literally there was people browsing dvds and stuff and there was a comedy (laughs) gig going on at the back it was just like oh my god then there was another one in the sugar club I can't even remember what that was for I think it might have been a Christmas one or yeah I think it was a kind of a Christmas show and there was me and a comedian called Derek Ryan I don't know if you ever met Derek but we were the two comedians booked and there was other kind of acts but like the audience were shit-faced and just like up at the bar. And like, they were just, we, me and Derek, I just remember he performed his set to me and I performed my set to him because wow. we were literally, we were the only ones listening. It was just like, I was just there nodding. When he was doing his, I was like, you're doing grand, just keep going, <laughs> it's fine. And he was the same to me. It was just like, get it over with, just get it done. Yeah, so... Oh, so many, so many, so yeah. many. But yeah, but like corporates are obviously always the, <laughs> corporates are just, you know, they're just soul destroying. And so there's loads of examples of terrible <laughs> games. Obviously when you're starting out, you kind of have a tendency to go, sure, yeah, I'll take everything. And then you realize after a while that unless I'm getting really well paid for this, <laughs> I'm not doing it, you know? So like, I remember being booked for a wedding once, um, but not even to do, stand-up which was the funny thing it was me and Damien Clark actually were booked for this and he he was booked to do stand-up I think and I was booked to kind of do (laughs) it was a very upper-class wedding you know it was quite quite posh wedding I was booked to like basically deliver some thoughts on love or something is what I can you know what I can describe so I basically like had you know Shakespeare quotes and just like (laughs) Nonsense, you know. For about ten minutes now, it was so nonsense that they actually kind of liked it. Sort of, I kind of got away with it uh, because it was so up its own arse that I had a folder, like it was one of those I had a folder. And as William Shakespeare said, you know, (laughs) the path of true love, bit like that. So they kind of were like, oh yes, (laughs) but like Damien, who had been booked, by the way, to do stand up, like that's what they booked. Did, and you know, Damien, he's like the friendliest, nicest, you know, non-threatening, you know, you couldn't like, he's perfect, you know, but they just, they just didn't want standup. I don't know what they thought they had booked, but they didn't want stand-up. So as soon as he kind of started doing standup, they were a bit like, well, why doesn't he have a filter and have some thoughts on love? <laughs> you you asked him, to do stand up? Jesus Christ. So yeah, things like that. Oh, just gigs where you just feel dirty afterwards and you're like get in your car and you're just like, I just want to go home and pretend that never happened. Yeah. Yeah. So well,
0: that's that's where all your, your many strings from your bow come in, you know, with your acting, your Shakespearean. True.
1: Yeah. You can kind of shake you it know. off. Shake it <laughs> off with something else. Yeah. Just forget about it. Yeah. 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 Mm. But
0: anyway, so, I mean, so how did lockdown affect you? Obviously, you know, back in back oh, yeah, in a, year, yeah. a year ago, we were kind of like, oh, this will all be over by July. We'll all be back to normal and everything be fine little did we know a year later that we'd all be still
1: yeah yeah it's it's been really shit I'm not gonna lie I'm not gonna sugarcoat it at all it's been crap last year I mean it's been in stages like everybody now don't get me wrong I'm not under any illusions that it's only me but I think it's come in stages like the initial lockdown was probably a bit of a novelty in some ways and you know looking back you're at the time you're like oh my god we can't go anywhere but like I was in my garden drinking all the time (laughs) whatever you know I bought a hammock like you know it was it was fine you know and then yeah probably the realization that was a bit tough or that was kind of tough but I probably like I kind of had a few things Like last year, I kind of had a few things sort of that were already booked in. Now, obviously, a lot of things were cancelled, but I kind of had little bits of things that would pop up. Like I did Colin O'Regan's radio show. So there was a few episodes of that. And I was writing on another show and I was kind of pitching. uh, I wrote a little radio piece and so I had a few little things going on. And I think probably like a lot of people, I kind of had I probably had Christmas in my head as a kind of a. Mm a marker you know like i think we all fooled ourselves into thinking like well listen we'll be finished by christmas it'd be grand and then kind of when christmas arrived and it was like okay not only (laughs) is it not improved it's actually got worse got worse um now i got home to see my parents which i was really happy about at christmas so i felt really really lucky because obviously i hadn't seen them at all so i was delighted with that we had a week home at christmas and that gave me a great boost going into the new year. I kind of was like, you know what? This is obviously we went into heavy lockdown and I was like, this is going to be it now for another couple of months. And, you know, that's you know, fine, fine. So I was kind of okay then again, but I, I definitely am finding the last few months, like tough because I think as well, it's like the more that other things open up, the more it really reinforces the fact that our industry is not, you know, yeah. and it just... When everybody else is in lockdown as well, it's like, okay, everybody's in lockdown. But there's a sense of like, and it's obviously I want people to be happy kind of, but like there's a little bit of a sense of when people go, oh, you know, things are getting back to normal. I feel a bit resentful towards that. And I'm like, it's not like, and it won't be for us for, you know, realistically, probably not till next year, Like, Mm. which is just a sort of a a grim thought. (laughs) So yeah, it's tough. And I'm trying to, obviously I write. So I'm trying to write a lot and stuff. But I do find, I mean, I do find that kind of hard as well because you're kind of trying to write in a vacuum a little bit. So I have good, that's a bit sort of up and down as well. I got some arts council funding recently to work on my next project, which was great. That gave me a bit of a boost. So I'm kind of working on that. And so, yeah, I'm just trying to, and little, like small little bits of work or trickling in here here and there and different different things but it's tough yeah I think it's it's really tough to be an artist right now because it's just it's it it feels like I've saying this to somebody the other day like it feels like normally when you're like in sort of pre-covid if when you're like doing your doing your artist thing and you're like pitching for things or you're um going to auditions or you're whatever it is you're doing like and you're getting no's obviously along the way, you're getting rejections and yeah. stuff. But, you know, you're doing a gig that night or your your life is still kind of trucking along, so the rejections you get very used to just kind of like, oh, I didn't get that one, I'll get the next one, or whatever. But I do feel like if you're pitching for something at the moment and it comes back as a no, it kind of feels like no, you can't have your career back. Like that yeah. that's kind of what it feels like. And I know that that's not necessarily the case, but it just yeah. It's 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 tough, like. So I think we just have to sort of hang in there and just, I think you have, I think a certain range you have to go with the up and down nature of it. Like you can't really fight it. And also you have like, obviously, which I do like, you have to remind yourself as well that we are in a pandemic and if you are safe and healthy, you're winning, you know, (laughs) so you have to kind of keep that sort of it's easy to lose sight of that i think you know because you sort of can get caught up in the restrictions and then yeah yeah actually even this week my son was identified as a close contact in school so Uh we had a whole like testing and then my daughter was sick and we were like oh my god it's covid it's in the house and anyway it's not we're all we're fine we're fine everybody we got the negative tests and blah blah but it did just kind of like reinforce it again of like this this is why we're not Back doing what we do because it's still out there, like, and it's still causing havoc. Yeah. Dan, COVID.
0: And you haven't killed Danny yet, so I mean, that's a that's a bonus.
1: Well, I mean, have you seen him?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I killed him just this morning. <laughs> actually, <laughs> he makes me laugh every week. It's like the Danny either either hair or beard update.
1: Oh Don't well, know. I mean, what's funny about that is that I have some in. I have an inability. To remember what is on his face right now. So if you said to me, does Danny have a beard right now? I genuinely do not know the answer to that question. I have no idea. I can't remember. It doesn't go in. It's like a, he's like a guess who character to me or something. It just, it changes. Does he have glasses? I don't know. I have no idea. I think he does sometimes for telly. I don't know. So, yeah. (laughs) No, we've managed to stay relatively. I mean, I don't know if it's obviously in some ways it's been great that we're both in the same boat and in some ways it has not been great (laughs) yeah uh it would be nice if one of us had a stable income right now that would be if one of us was like a doctor that would be really handy preferably him so i wouldn't have to (laughs) if he was a doctor basically my life would be a lot easier but um it is what it is and yeah um yeah I think in general I mean I think look it's like everybody alcohol has definitely soothed the wounds <laughs> in fact I opened the fridge this morning this morning at about 10 o'clock and Danny had about has his Heineken in the fridge he's like I'm having a drink tonight I was like yeah you know what so am I yeah oh so every every sort of usually about once a week we kind of go you know what I think I think we probably need a drink <laughs> i, I think, think most
0: of Ireland have become closet alcoholics haven't they over, oh yeah uh, you know, oh god oh year. i
1: like i mean this is this is us raining it in paula because in the beginning like it was, it was just like fucking uh bottles into the shopping trolley it was yeah. just like you know pick up a loaf of bread pick up a six-pack like it was just like <laughs> you well, know you're, you're walking much.
0: past the walking past the bottle bank around the corner and there's just yeah. people loafing yeah. these
1: dozens oh, of bottles yeah. into wine bottles oh, into it <laughs> oh 100 100 it was it was non-stop in the beginning and that's what I mean about like the sort of novelty I mean little did we realize at the time like that it, those early kind of couple of months of lockdown the kind yeah. of not those of us now obviously not every some people were still working obviously uh but those of us who weren't you know and who couldn't even work from home like you yeah. were literally not doing anything like I mean, sure. What loss was on us? Like I was literally, I we were having barbecues and the weather was great. Barbecues, drink. I mean, I felt a bit sorry for myself at the time because I was like, ah, lockdown. But I mean, in hindsight, I was I basically had a holiday in my garden, you know. <laughs> It's just, I didn't want to be on holidays for a year and a half, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah they they said, know. Oh yeah, the, the pubs have all closed. And it was like, Oh no, but you can drink from home.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh yeah. It's just, I think everybody's just, I think, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Like it has been a really, really tough year for everybody. And you can pick like, this is what like me and my girlfriend say all the time is that like, even we say between the four of us, like, you know, I'm an artist so that's a unique set of circumstances one of my friends is a nurse so obviously that's another unique set of circumstances mm. another one has had to work from home you know that's been unique another one was trying to start a business that's you know you know. so there's been a whole then you throw in the homeschooling thing some of us have been trying to do that and you know and some have older kids then it's just like there's nobody who's, like, having a great time in this pandemic. It's 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 affected everybody in different ways, you know. So Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, even when the kids are off school, I mean, God, how did you cope?
1: Oh, Jesus, not very well. Not very well. I mean, I mentioned the drinking. Yeah, <laughs> the drinking. I mean, I was not cut out to be a homeschooler. I will say that. I, I just have no... I mean, I made Bobby cry uh, a couple <laughs> of times. Uh, he's six, by the way. Uh, he just... <laughs> Wasn't getting those phonics. I, I just—I oh. don't have patience. I do not have patience. I've never had patience. And it's too late for me now. I'm nearly 40. I'm not going to get any patience anytime soon. So no, I, I detested the homeschooling. I really, and even this week, because they've been off because of the restricted, the case in the school, the, yeah. the classes have been sent home and they've sent work on Seesaw. And I'm like, nope, I am not doing it. <laughs> I'm not going back there. No, I am not. He's fine now. They're getting holidays next week. He's learned enough. He got his report card. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. So, um, yeah, that was tough. Yeah, very tough. And they, like you see, because it's tough on them. I mean, they yeah. were missing family and stuff. They obviously normally see their family a lot and not seeing, not seeing anybody was tough. So, um, and my youngest is like, she'll be four in a few weeks. So she was quite young she was only whatever, two and a half when this all kicked off. Yeah, So like, she doesn't, like even say in the last couple of months when we've been able to have people here, like she's been kind of a bit afraid of people in the house, like, which is just such a sad, Mm. I mean, she'll get over and she'll be fine. But like, it just makes me so sad because our, like we're a house that in normal times, we have people here all the time. We, you know, we have people calling and we just like that kind of, busy house like but she is just so used to it just being the four of us like it's just she's like oh I don't want I don't (laughs) want other people (laughs) other people coming in like you know so yeah weird times
0: yeah so I mean do do you reckon live comedy as we knew it (laughs) will ever return oh I mean there seem to be there seem to be comedy clubs in the UK seem to be having these very kind of limited Hmm. Um, openings and stuff but you're kind of like you know if you, you, you come out on stage and there's just a lot of people with masks here. well
1: I think the man I actually think the mask thing is fine I I I don't care if masks stay here forever I that doesn't makes no odds to me I think I think that would be fine if that's the way it goes but social distancing is obviously a problem if that yeah 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 days you know so will we ever get back I mean I have to believe that we will because otherwise what is the fucking point like know, you know what is, what? like what is the point if we can't get back to enjoying life mm. then I would rather whip off me mask and take me chances with the whole thing you know and I and I know that that's there's a privilege attached to saying that because I'm not um in a vulnerable category or whatever, so I'm 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 sort of tongue in cheek when I say that I'm not necessarily serious. Obviously, I want to go with the public health advice, but it's just like, what are we doing this for? Like, if we can't get, I have to believe that we can come back. Like when we're all vaccinated or when we reach yeah, the yeah. the seventy percent or the eighty percent or whatever, I have to believe that it's coming back because we can't live like this forever like you know because i mean even if you like some people i guess some sections of society uh or some sections of the economy maybe might be more realistic to say so some sections of the economy can work at the moment and Mm. can you know keep going but like even for people within those sectors like you're effectively saying that they can never what have a art won't exist like except online i mean what kind of a horrible black mirror-esque you know dystopia is that you can only ever virtually experience art oh my god you know so i i think it has i think it has to i think it has to live music you say live music will never come back it has to it has to we need it as humans we need it like you know and I, i mean if it doesn't or it didn't you'd have like psychiatric institutions would be filled (laughs) filled with artists you know because we can't cope like they should offer us a bit more hope you know the hope seems to be missing a little bit that like I mean initially last year it was like sit tight hold tight there's a vaccine coming and it was like okay (laughs) we're clinging to the hope of the vaccine and it was like you know any article there's a vaccine yeah when is it coming (laughs) you know because I'm busy I want to stop uh yeah, tight the vaccine's coming and it's like and then and now the vaccines here and they're kind of going, Oh, there's new variants, and it's oh like God, when the, is the I'm like sick of the variants, Jesus <laughs> Christ. The var- With the variants just like go away right now. But it's like I know that they would probably say, Well, we can't really tell you where the end is because we, we're not sure ourselves, yeah, but yeah, but I do feel like we could do it a bit of hope of like they could do it maybe reinforcing the message once we get to whatever percentage vaccinations we should be able to open up or whatever because i feel like in the absence of that it's just like people are close will just give up and just go well let's not bother with any public health measures because what's the point do you know what i mean yeah, because it's kind yeah. of like that's kind of how it tends to go like if, if you off, offer people hope they're kind of more likely to stick with everything yeah. and then but if it feels like there's no hope i think you will get more people just going fuck it i don't care like i yeah. just don't care like is my career going to come back or do I need mm. to like retrain <laughs> as
0: what I don't well, know but it, they had that in the UK didn't they they were they were saying oh you could retrain and become so and so if you're see, yeah did, yeah just Oh, that's
1: yeah yeah how
0: soul destroying must that be oh
1: it's so soul destroying but it's but you can feel it come like this is what happens though like and, you know and that's kind of uh, that's a frustrating element that creeps in a lot. I think that, and that's kind of what I, what I meant earlier, a little bit of when, like when the rest of society, the more, the more of the economy and society that kind of gets back to normal in inverted commas, the less empathy there is, I think for artists who are still struggling, because then I think you kind of get a little bit of that, like, oh, well, come on, it's not a real job anyway. So why don't you just, go back to the chicken factory Sharon. <laughs>
0: oh no oh could you imagine it
1: you know the international comedy club is yeah, exactly Inc. three arena Yeah. so there's a there's a huge industry there you know below that sort of top yeah, yeah, tier yeah. that level of comedy will be would be okay financially if they never work <laughs> again probably you know exactly. maybe not emotionally but uh you know so like yeah there's a lot of just like there's artists that have just been living hand to mouth for years and they're the ones that whether that's comedians or actors or musicians or whatever, like they're the ones that I would be concerned about because what is there? like if people sort of start forgetting those people exist, it's a bit of a slippery slope then of like what happens to them like, do you know it's just a bit, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean I suppose like theatres are slowly reopening over in the UK now I know some of the theatres and stuff in the West End are you yeah, know, doing yeah. all these socially distanced things so you, I mean yeah. you've got you've got to look at this as a as a step I suppose you know
1: yeah I think so you're right like and I think like it's it's important to because some of the th- the Abbey I think did something the other night as well here socially distanced and stuff mm. so it is happening and yeah like it is I think you've hit on the, the nail on the head there like it is it's it's like these gigs that they're trialing you know where there was one in the ivy gardens there recently yeah and yeah yeah i probably was a bit skeptical about it because i was like it was 500 people they were all in pods there was no bar and i was i was a bit like what's the point of this like you know <laughs> like you know how is this how far we've come but in fairness i see the next one they're doing now has whatever three times or more i think three and a half thousand tickets maybe i think and you know so if they're gonna sort of move it up a gear each time and i think they're going to do the antigen testing and all the rest so yeah. so in fairness yeah fine if that's start small and just build up then is fine but it's like until audiences can just climb on top of each other and be in each other's faces you know art as we knew it won't return yeah. in the same way you yeah. know whether that's music or comedy or whatever so so it's a long road i think
0: A bit about talk about music so who have been Ooh. your musical loves over the years you must have had oh. ev- everyone's had at least one band that they you know even when you were a kid you must have had something that you
1: were you know it's funny I was thinking about this before I was chatting to you because I like I mean Ian Coppinger slags me all the time because He's constantly playing music and I'm like, who's that? And he's like, that's Morrissey. And I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Who's he now? Or who's that? That's <laughs> David Bowie. Like, I'm not really, I love music. I love music. I love singing. I love listening to music. I love all genres. I love it. But I'm not like one of these music heads who would ever have really got into a band. Yeah, much. Yeah you know like now when I was a teenager maybe the Cranberries was probably the closest I came to kind of getting into a band like I think I bought a couple of their albums maybe and I would listen to the full album kind of thing Um, and no doubt a little bit maybe kind of ish but you know that's probably until I have to say Beyonce (laughs) I know that it's such a cliche I'm 39 years old and you know but I adore Beyonce I just think Beyonce I mean (laughs) everybody thinks I'm such an idiot when I say this when I'm talking about Beyonce my love for her is so great but like Beyonce is just like she just was the I don't know she was the perfect I think she's a similar age to me I think so she would have been sort of like coming into her own you know I just that I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not more money <laughs> yeah i just like to say I'm not comparing myself to Beyonce right now but uh just merely on an age front uh but like she just is so fucking powerful I think or like she really owned her kind of her sexuality and her just her image and her power and you know she was all about she she was never about the kind of dainty little pop singer. She was the total kind of opposite of that. It was all about strength and power and stamina. And oh I loved that. I loved that. And I love Beyoncé. I really do. I think she's amazing. She can do no wrong for me. Uh she would be my David Bowie. Like when 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 famous um you know when musicians pass away and all this and people have this outpouring on social media and stuff, none of it has ever I've ne- there's never been anybody that I've been compelled to go. Oh God, you know, can't believe Prince is gone. I'm sad for his family and all, but like it's not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but Beyonce, if be- if anything, God forbid, touch wood, if anything happened to Beyonce, I would be on social media going, "This woman, like, genuinely changed my life, something to <laughs> me." <isn't it? laughs> kind of, or like, yeah, she can change. Like, I think. If some if an artist can change your mood, yeah, that's that's pretty powerful. And if I if I'm feeling whatever and I need to just kind of pump myself up, then I would put on Beyonce and she would she would do that. So I think I'm not going to I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Beyonce (laughs) is my bowie. We're not going to judge you. We're not going to judge you. I feel like I'm judging myself, but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What about what
0: about Danny? Is Danny into his music? Danny's not but... my Beyonce.
1: No, no. No, Danny's <laughs> not. Your daughter, obviously, but uh, Danny is a, a not. He loves dance music. Dance right. music is Danny's thing. Oh, so, like when yeah, he will put on like if we're having a few drinks here in the house. Next thing, you know, Atlantic Waterfall or like Yeahio <laughs> for strings. So 90s. 90s that's that's his thing now he would be more he would have had bands that he would have been more into than me like sort of back in the day and stuff I think he was into the doors for a while and things like that but he wouldn't be he wouldn't now be a music head like it would still be (laughs) still be the dance music or if he's in the car like you can hear Danny like pulling in outside (laughs) because the windows would be down it'd be like So the kid's tormented, you know, playing all this. Uh, he likes Queen, actually. I liked Queen, actually, now that I think of it. There'd be lots of bands that I like. Do you know what yeah, I mean? There'd be yeah. lots of bands I like. But just in that kind of like people that um, you would have been really into. Yeah. Like, but I actually, I really like Queen and I liked Queen. My brother had a Queen album uh, when we were growing up and I listened to that a lot. And I lo- I, I do love U2 as well, I have to say. I'm a big, I, I'm a, a, a big U2 fan and i know sometimes like irish people resist yeah sort of saying that but no i love you too and i love bono and and them all i think a great bunch of lads would that be old you two old you
0: two or more recent you two or just uh... see this
1: this is where i show my true colors as not a true music head because i would just go all (laughs) of you two what are you talking about it's all the same it's all the same people i liked early early you two but
0: you two now i'm not Can't be, can't be with it. Ah, come on. I don't can't know. Yeah, it.
1: well, for me, it's, um, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the, you know, Streets of No Name and all of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, I suppose that era of you 2 would probably be the best, but I do like some of the more recent stuff, Beautiful Day and all that. Yeah, I like, yeah. So all of you 2 of <laughs> What about as a, as a kid? Well
0: I know a lot of people listen to kind of what their parents, maybe what they're, they're influenced yeah. a lot by what their parents listen to. So, I mean, what would you have had in the car as a kid? Oh,
1: well, in the car, it was all like, you know, country music, basically. The kind of Irish (laughs) country music, you know, like the old two's company, three's a crowd, you know, this kind of thing. Like, so um, country, yeah, country music really was it, you know. And I didn't, uh, I probably kind of liked some of it, but all that sort of jolly sort of middle of the road kind of. Um, I'm trying to think of any of the actual artists, like um, what do you call her, Sandy Kelly and um, Philomena Begley. Oh and, my God,
0: my dad loves you know, Philomena Begley. Yeah, I don't know what it yeah, is, but
1: yeah, Big Tom and you know all of that, all of that, all of that kind of, of, that kind of stuff. That's what it would have been in the car, or some traditional Irish music uh, sometimes. And I do love, I like traditional Irish music. I mean, as a kid, I didn't really like traditional Irish music because it was kind of not very cool. But yeah. certainly as I get older, I see it. I love trad music now. I think it's, um, yeah, even though I never listen to it now that I say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. I haven't heard it in 10 years. Um, but yeah, I'd have a total new appreciation for that in recent years. But it was all that. There, there wouldn't have been any, like, my parents were not, you know. Oh, sorry, Stevie Wonder. I love Stevie Wonder as well. I forgot about him. Love Stevie Very Wonder. Forget good, good, good. Big good. Stevie Wonder fan. Yeah, went to see him recently and and just thought he was amazing. Anyway, uh, yeah, they wouldn't have any like they wouldn't have listened to the Beatles or anything like that. It would have been all just that Irish country <laughs> music. And that's what they still listen to. And well, I, I still listen to they actually watch on those like. You know, those like uh, channels you have on your kind of digi box, like number 472, <laughs> which is just like two lads in a shed up the road, uh, listening, watching, playing, playing music. That's that's what they listen to. And they're obsessed now recently with this band called The Toppers, who are a Dutch cover band. <laughs> <laughs> they discovered them in lockdown and. Um, when i don't know how they found them but they are obsessed with them now and they want to go and see them specifically in the amsterdam arena i don't know they wear these like camp suits camp sparkly suits and they sing you know they sing anything oh, because right, they're okay. a cover band yeah but my parents are obsessed with them now the toppers yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
0: another yeah. another downside I mean, of uh, of lockdown so you you talked there about Stevie Wonder seeing Stevie Wonder recently. Yeah. Um w- Would you say I'm I'm assuming that you you're not really a gig goer per se. If you're not no. into if you're not really into bands and stuff, what's the what's the best gig you've ever been to though? Is there if you could kind of choose? Do you know,
1: I would. Yeah, I would put. You're right. I'm not really a gig goer. I have to say, I would choose. It's a toss up between that Stevie Wonder gig, which yeah. I loved, and yeah, everybody. Yeah at the time was, um, I don't know if you remember. It I heard was, he was like, amazing. Well, lots of people at the time were kind of saying they didn't think he was great. And wow. it was a real thing around the time of like, uh, oh, he was shy. And actually me and Danny came out of the gig and, you know, and the crowds were all kind of walking down the street and we overheard some people discussing it or whatever, saying like, oh God, he was shy or whatever. And we both kind of said to each other, you know What? something to the effect of I can't remember how Danny said it but it was like we know what happened for us yeah, so yeah, just you know yeah. ignore that so in a way like that gig really sticks out in my mind because me and Danny both adore him and we both adored the gig and so that's a really nice memory because we just loved it uh but I also would have to say my good friend Beyonce the first <laughs> <laughs> the first time she came to Dublin was it maybe the first time it was certainly, possibly not her first time but it was my first time seeing her anyway in the point and i brought my friend efa who's not a, really a Beyonce fan uh but i had nobody else to go with so i brought efa and um the like i can't remember who the sport act was on but basically the sport act finished and then crazy in love came on and the all, the curtains dropped and just like this visual sort of like yeah, yeah, yeah. lights band everything Uh, and Beyonce came out singing Crazy in Love and like me and Aoife turned to each other within like 10 (laughs) seconds and we're like, she's amazing. She's amazing. And that whole, the whole gig was, kept that sort of level of like, she's amazing. And even Aoife, who like I say, is not really a fan. She was like, I have to say, I have to hand it to her. That was an amazing gig. Like, so, so yeah, that gig sticks out as well. Uh, So yeah, a toss up between the two, but I can't, say I'd love to like be one of those people who's like oh I was in this quiet club in the corner of Hackney, <laughs> or something and I saw this amazing band no because I just don't go to that kind of stuff so I
0: mean is there any anybody that you you wish that you'd seen that you music like on a, on a bucket list if, if someone's right is your bucket list who would you like to see before you you peg it
1: music or comedy Uh, music or both we could have one for each okay well genuinely stevie wonder was on my bucket list Uh and uh, and was on danny's too and because i had i he hadn't come to ireland in a in a good while and i was getting a bit worried that he was gonna pop it um (laughs) (laughs) especially that year was it 2019 when everyone was dying i was like if you take stevie now i won't be pleased um so yeah he was really on my bucket list so other than that music wise and you two were on my book list but I've but I've seen them now um I can't think of anybody else music wise genuinely that that I would be that I mean the big one that got away would have been Amy Winehouse I was mm. an Amy Winehouse fan I have to say uh I should have mentioned her now before I forgot I did love Amy Winehouse and she was probably the first artist that when she passed away like I genuinely was like I mean, aside from obviously the sadness of, yeah. of, what, of, a waste. of what, what a waste. waste. Of, yeah. yeah. But she was like, I remember thinking, I really would have loved to hear what she, what music she would have brought out. Do mm. like, you know what I mean? I just mm. was like, God, it's so sad that this person has, has died, but also like the art that she would have created. Like I would have loved to have hear, heard that. So, oh. so yeah, she, she would be someone I would have loved to have seen comedy wise. Probably Robin Williams. I would have loved yeah. to have seen. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that would have been a big one. Uh, bucket list in terms of people who are still alive. Hmm. God, I don't know if I. I mean, well, it, they're not standups, but like Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler are kind of my my gods, you know. So I would love to. I I, I guess I think of it more in terms of who I'd love to work with you yeah, know? yeah so if I if I thought I could work with Amy Poehler and Will Ferrell before I die that would be that would be enough to get me through the rest of this pandemic <laughs> if I knew that was coming
0: um yeah yeah,
1: yeah I adore them so it's, it's so I can't think of a stand-up specifically that I'd be like oh I have to see them but yeah definitely those two would be um big big influences of mine thank you so
0: much for chatting with me today Sharon it has been epic oh well thank you very much for having
1: me improv um, superstar superstar there's that word again that I will be using in all my bylines
0: (laughs) (laughs) on your business cards (laughs) yeah exactly